Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. But I think where organizations also have a huge opportunity is in using AI-driven workforce management. How can we use AI to make sure that the right people are available for customers when they need to be? You might have a great tool, you might have a great solution, but if you can't train that model up on enough of the right kind of data, it's just not going to be as effective. They're saying we need to acquire new customers, we need to increase our revenues, we need to evolve CX strategies, but nobody's outwardly saying we need to improve our experience. Hi, this is Colin, and I wanted to ask you a favour. It would really help Ryan and I if you could spend a moment and complete a review of the podcast. Positive reviews help us get out to more people, and we love hearing from our listeners and seeing what people have written. So please, just take a moment and complete a review. Thanks very much for your help. So Ryan, you know, over your career, you meet people that are sort of kindred spirits and stuff like that, and you you stay in touch well, I'm really pleased to say that we've got a really interesting guest on the show today, uh, Nancy Porter. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So Nancy is um, Vice President of Global Customer Experience at Verant, one of the major voice of the customer organizations. She is also vice chair of the board of directors of the Customer Experience Professional Association, the CXPA. Uh, and if you haven't heard of that, you should just look up CXPA and you'll, you'll find information on that. Verant have just undertaken some really interesting research. And when I heard about it, I thought it'd be really interesting to get Nancy on the show to talk a bit further about it. The headline of the research, and I'm reading from the press release here because this is the bit that really caught my attention. The new research shows that only half the organizations worldwide say that they are well prepared to support customer engagement in the COVID era and beyond. And certainly when I read that, you know, having talked to lots of different clients over the over the last six to nine months during the pandemic, it really struck a chord with me that, and we've talked about on the podcast, how things have changed and are people prepared for what's coming next? My worry is, I don't think they are. And I think this report sort of confirms that. So, Nancy, what's the headlines that come out of the report for you? For you? Well, and by the way, at the end of the show, we'll tell you a link where you can download the uh, report from. But so what's the, the headlines for you, Nancy? Well, a little bit first about why we did the research. We were hearing from our clients really around the globe that they had an interesting situation in 20. We all knew we went through the COVID, but what it, what it seemed to do is escalate issues that they were already dealing with. And it really had to do with customer expectations changing. Customers were involved more in wanting digital first, but issues were also more complex. Yeah. There were 
a lot of digital transformations going on, and that was causing disruption in, in the workplace. And then on top of that, you know, there were already changes in the workforce with generational changes and, and expectations through the changes in the generations as well. But then everyone goes to work from home. There were a number of other workforce changes. So you pull all that together and it got super escalated during COVID with the digital disruption and the change in, in customer expectations and behaviors, yep. as well as the workforce changes. So what we wanted to do is go out there and quantify what was happening in the workplace rather you know, than just talk about our anecdotal stories. And so we went out and did We had thousands of survey responses from 12 different countries, 10 different industries to really assess what was going on out there. So what really popped up, as you said, 50% don't feel prepared. But if you, and when you look underneath it, that the I think that the numbers were staggering. 82% of those that that responded said that the challenges of managing customer engagement in 21 were definitely going to grow. Okay, I don't think that's terribly shocking. I think that the 82% was. But also, the other interesting number that I saw was that 74% of those who responded said that they did not pursue any planned new hires in 2020, due to the, mainly due to COVID and the economic, nobody knowing where the you know, economy was going. And so they were very conservative in the hires. So what, ha- what I see is, yeah, said expectations are changing and they're getting bigger. And then 74% come back and say, and guess what? We have fewer resources because we did not hire. We we got behind on hiring. So I think that's what's underneath this half of the organizations saying we're not ready for 2021. And do you think some of the reason, I think part of the issue for me is they don't even know what that new experience should look like. We obviously had how people were acting pre-pandemic we've been during the pandemic and and let me tell you the story that i particularly like i think i've mentioned this to you before but it's a bit like in the second world war winston churchill towards the end of end of the war 1945 was standing for re-election and everybody thought that he would get re-elected because he obviously led led the country through the second world war and the interesting thing for me was and a lot of other people at the time was that he didn't get re-elected Okay, the Labour Party came in. So historians have analysed that and they've turned around and said, well, why did he lose? The reason he lost was because everybody had just gone through five years of, of war and obviously a terrible experience. And they'd come out of that and wanted life to be something different. And what they were voting for was something different, not a reverse back to the old days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's where I think organizations are, is yeah, or customers are, should I say. They knew what it was like pre-pandemic. They've experienced good things and bad things during the pandemic. And now they want something different. But the tie-in to what you were just saying that I'm trying to get to is, but do organizations, have they got a clear articulation of, of what that new experience looks like in the post-pandemic world? Does that make sense? It makes so much sense because, and again, the research bore that out because when we asked the respondents what their priorities were, three out of the five top priorities related to customer engagement. 
And you're thinking, hallelujah, we finally got there because we know through a lot of research that when you prioritize customer experience, the company does better, shareholders do better. It's clear. We've had so much research around that. And then we get to this point where we're challenged in in meeting the needs of customers and the workforce. And organizations overall still feel a bit confused to me about where to go. They, they make small incremental changes for the customer. They look at where, where the complaints are. But when it comes to really creating those differentiated experiences that encompass the entire customer journey rather than just pieces of it, there's a lot of confusion. And I think organizations tend to go to their safety spot, which is well, let's just try and make it really efficient. Let's make it operationally efficient. And that's going to make the difference for the customer. There's nothing wrong with that. You always want to have, create some efficiencies internally. But I don't think organizations should fool themselves by saying, I have improved the customer journey by taking a bad interaction and making it go faster. But when I look at the priorities, and you mentioned the priorities, and and it's a shame we can't show people these, they'll be able to read them in the the report. The interesting bit for me was nobody's saying we need to improve our customer experience. They're saying we need to acquire new customers, we need to increase our revenues, we need to evolve CX strategies, but nobody's sort of outwardly saying we need to improve our experience. And and I guess my challenge is, are we still thinking old money? Does that make sense? Are people still stuck in the pre-pandemic, the world's going to revert to how it was, and these are the priorities as we saw them before, as opposed to the new priorities that I'm sure you and I would put improving customer experience high on that list. But I think you're also going to going to see where companies are differentiated because some are getting it. Some are getting it and they know they have to improve the customer experience. And they also know, I mean, when we get later into to the research, they also know that they're going to have to use a combination of technology and humans like we've never been expected to do before in order to accomplish it. But some organizations are already taking the lead on this. And and I think those are the ones that there's going to be a greater chasm between the successful companies and those that are struggling because of their ability to close this engagement capacity gap, but do it through improving the customer experience and improving the customer experience organizationally, not incrementally. Yeah. And Ryan, I'm conscious that Nancy and I will rattle on about this for four hours <laughs> unless we allow you to get a word in edgeways. Well, I, I mean, I've, I know more than to stand in your way, Colin. I just kind of <laughs> appreciate when, when Colin gets excited about that. something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you've, you've kind of, already answered this in, in a little way. One of the interesting findings is the identification of this gap where people or firms are recognizing they, they don't feel like they're prepared. And and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I, I wonder if you'd get a little more specific that there are lots of ways to not be prepared. Like I could be prepared by not knowing what to do. Like that's a way that I can not be prepared. I could know what to do and just not have the ability to do it though. Like, so 
were you finding in your research that people are just kind of throwing up their hands and saying like, I just, we just don't know what 2021 is going to bring, or is it more of like, okay, we've identified the problems. We just don't have the people in place to do that. Or we, we know what the problems are. We got the people, we just don't have the resources to do it. Like what, what's the source of that feeling ill-prepared? Yeah, that's a really good question. One of the things that I noticed in the research is there isn't one top concern. When we ask those managers, usually in research, you can say, oh, here it is. They don't understand the problem and we need to get to the bottom of the problem. But I'll give you an example. So 94% said that the biggest concern they had was understanding and acting on these changing customer behaviors. So you're thinking, oh, well, 94%, there you go, there's our answer. But then 88% said, well, I'm also concerned about managing the growth. Not only is it understanding the interactions themselves, but now we're seeing more channels, we're seeing more interactions, we're seeing more personas that we, we need to serve well. Then almost 80% of customers still said, but wait a minute, I'm also concerned about a unified view of the customer engagement because I need to see what happens before I serve the customer, what happens after I serve the customer to to do it well. And they also said, we're not using customer feedback well internally in the organization to really understand it. And this is the one that really, really hit me hard because this is at the core of what we do, right? A lot of customers say, we're just not building those enduring customer relationships. Those relationships that create loyalty and stickiness to us as an organization. So when we asked our business leaders to select all of the things they were concerned about, we learned they're exhausted and they're stretched really thin. And I don't think these people are sleeping at night because they are, and, and I'm one of these people, because there's concern on everything from understanding to having the resources to address them and then really knowing what to do. When you were reading down that list, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, bloody hell, they're concerned about everything, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they're very diligent. Yeah. <laughs> and we were concerned about these things before COVID. Again, it was almost the perfect storm that happened with all of the changes in all of the workforce, the customer base, and then all the digital tools out there. But as we're going to see in a little bit, it's not all dark data, that there, there's some really positive things that also came out of it. So why don't you cheer us up then? Yeah. T- tell us some good things. <laughs> well, first of all, the technology to close the gap, because for a lot of people, that's where the magic is, is for their organizations coming up with the plan for both the technology to serve the customer and to empower the workforce. But then as we're going to talk about it a little bit too, then there's the analytics part, which really helps them address that concern about how do I understand the customer better and react faster to what they need. And What I'm the most excited about is that we found that 78% of our business leaders reported that they're already investing in AI because I think artificial intelligence is the key. It not only gives us the path to, to rapid innovation so that we can serve the customer better, 
but we're really transforming the way that organizations do business because AI, when it's done correctly and, and when it's done well, it really does have the potential to drive better engagement and it also reduces costs for the organization. Absolutely. And, and Ryan's definitely not going to get a word in edgeways now because now we're, now we're <laughs> <Uh-oh. talking. laughs> Now you've introduced artificial intelligence. We're, we're all done. <laughs> The issue here for me, and if I again, if I this is what fascinated me in the report, they're investing in AI. First of all, my question becomes, well, whereabouts? Because my my worry is that what organisations do typically is they invest in areas to save costs, as opposed to invest in areas to improve the the customer experience. And the, the second thing for me is, and we haven't talked about this, although our regular listeners will know that I bang on about this all the time. The key issue is you have to invest in areas in improving your experience in the areas that drive value for your customers. And what we know is that some customers can't clearly articulate what those areas are. What worries me is that they people are investing areas that and not just to save costs, which was my first point. My second point is, you know, are they investing in areas that are not necessarily driving value? Do they understand those things? So it's sort of, to a certain extent, it's sort of garbage in, garbage out, unless you understand where you're heading, how in the hell are you going to make those investments and make those right? Because I absolutely believe that AI is the future and it, and is going to greatly enhance the customer experience going forward. I couldn't agree more. And the only thing I would add to that would be that I I think that AI, as you've already said, it has to be a strategy. It can't just be we're using AI in one place, so we must be closing the gap. It's a strategy. And I think in addition to what we're seeing with AI that's customer facing, we're seeing the intelligent virtual assistants. We're seeing different voice of the customer solutions and knowledge management, right? That, that That's customer facing is just fascinating how far we've come. But I think where organizations also have a huge opportunity is in using AI-driven workforce management. So how can we use AI to best make sure that the right people are available for customers when they need to be, when customers need them? Where are all the efficiencies that we can do for our workforce? And then you were alluding to, but I think it's really important too, to realize that you've got to have a strong, whoever you choose for that AI partner, that AI partner has to have really deep experience and they've got to make sure that the data is based on, on, on real interactions and not just simulations. And, and I think the most important piece, and, and I know now, now you're going to love this, but I agree that the methodologies have to use the predictive modeling to identify what's coming and where your opportunities are to serve the customers too. And that's, I think, AI is exciting in and of itself. But when you start talking about AI and predictive modeling, then it's getting to be a much better world for customers, which is what we're trying to do. We've spoken about this before, Nancy, but we did, a, I believe, to be a really interesting podcast two or three months ago about the subject of customer science. And we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes on this. Because again, totally agree with what you're saying. The, the other aspect I would add into that, so for me, it's that sort of that emergence between 
or convergence, or the word I like is fusion. Is fusion such a good word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. The, the, the fusion between AI, data, and the third part of it for me is this whole area of behavioral science, of truly understanding why customers do things or why people do things. You correctly used the, the whole area of predictive analytics, but for me, predictive analytics has got to be based upon that understanding of those true motivators to be able to, and therefore the behavioral science part, to be able to truly predict what customers are doing, not necessarily just on what they say they're going to do. I know from your platform, the great thing that you can do across using all the, your software is you can look across uh, those channels and silos and uh, and start to pull all that data together, can't you? Absolutely. One of the, the advantages of Verant as an organization is that we've been in the business for 25 years. The amount of customer knowledge, the customer data that we already have and, and the models and methodologies that have already been developed are things that are just embedded in our platform. They're part of the product. It's not separate, if you will. It's a big advantage because you automatically get that experience as you go through. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I get a little emotional when we talk about uh, artificial intelligence. <laughs> I'm sure you understand. You mentioned that sometimes these investments in, in artificial intelligence worked well, sometimes they didn't. Did your research point to any kind of general principles about how firms can do AI better or more efficiently? You, you know, you talked about finding the right partner. I'm sure that's very important. You talked about using AI in the right way or for the right tools, um, not just for cost, but also to improve customer experience. Are there any other kind of general principles, general advice that you'd give to people who are interested in using AI and doing it right? Yeah, I think when you look at AI, and you do typically look for a partner and having the partner have the expertise and how to how to provide that scalable and usable AI architecture. And it needs to be a really flexible architecture. You know, I was talking with a, a customer the other day and I was so fascinated. It's one of the largest computer hardware companies in the world. And they use their online interactive virtual assistant. They have so much flexibility with their assistant that they give it traits so they can level the how kind she is, you know, how uh, knowledgeable she is and how aggressive she is. And they were telling me that they actually dial up her aggressiveness in the holiday season because they can they can rapidly sell computers more rapidly than they do the rest of the year. And so they make her a little bit more assertive. Maybe assertive is a better word than aggressive, but <laughs> it has to be that elastic and flexible ability to accommodate customer needs at whether it's seasonal or whether it is just changing overall or maybe it's for a certain persona that that expertise is really important it's not a one size fits all solution and then i would say that the last thing i'd and, and I, I don't want to go too far afield here but machine learning capabilities are really important in here because the machine learning is also transforming the way organizations do business because it is helping improve business processes in general. So there's a lot that goes into an effective 
AI deployment, but I think it goes back to the roots again of knowing what you want to accomplish, understanding your customers really well, and then having that enterprise approach rather than maybe looking at a very um, small implementation in a single department. Can I add another area that I think is really important? Yeah. And that is having a partner that is customer focused. Because the danger is that if you're choosing, let me say, more of a technology partner, they're more interested in the technology than the output of the technology. Having someone who naturally, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have come from that voice of the customer, customer feedback across the enterprise, from that type of environment that's looking at the customer or looking at this deployment through the lens of how does this affect the customer experience is far more important than, or a major contributory factor, than just looking at it from a a technology standpoint. Well, that's a really good point. Thanks for making that. Because, you know, we've always had that shiny object inclination whenever technology shows up, new technology shows up on the market. You want to use a new technology just because it's a new technology, but you don't think yeah. about how you need to use it to improve. And and I do think having a company and a partner that is very, very customer focused. I mean, you can tell by the interview here. I don't I'm, I'm not like the interview person. <laughs> I actually lead our customer experience program within Barrett. And. I really, I, this personal opinion here, but I, I think companies should say, you know, if I'm going to work with a company that's going to help me with customer engagement, I want to know how you're doing customer engagement. Do you have a customer yeah. experience program mm-hmm. inside? Totally. How long have you had that? What's your satisfaction rates? Now, we don't always share our satisfaction rates, none of us, right? But you should have an indication that's a, you know, it's a deep and wide customer experience program and that there's, there's a customer-centric DNA in the organization because that's going to ultimately improve the end product of your partnership as well. So that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I I just remember my days back in corporate life and we were buying systems and uh, just to show my age, this was when sort of CRM was, was all the rage or just started to come out. You could choose a partner that was bloody good at the technology or you could choose a partner that was good at technology, but also was looking at it through a customer lens. And that made the conversation just so much more easier and gave you much more of a understanding or, or confidence that, that you're going to end up with the right thing. Anything else, Nancy, from the, from the report you want to go through? The only other point is, is around data silos. And again, this isn't anything new for anyone in customer experience because we've always talked about operational silos and how we need to bridge those silos for a great customer experience. But now organizations are seeing that they are also experiencing data silos. So as analytics efforts and capabilities improve and people are talking about their customer data lakes and data oceans and all this they're realizing that it is important to have the whole view of the customer and see all the analytics across the journey and beyond, actually. We won't even get into the predictive, right? But all of that is in there. And and now what we're seeing is a lot of our respondents said that they really were invested in this, but their, their number one issue that they were running into was really finding the data and getting it out of the organizational silos. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think people sometimes who are just getting introduced to machine learning models and artificial intelligence don't necessarily appreciate the amount and the quality of data that's necessary to develop good models around this. These machines learn and these uh, artificial intelligence agents learn through the data. Uh, And so if you don't have enough data or if it's not the right type of data, it can really hobble these models. So it, it is interesting to see how organizations are starting to realize how this siloing of data can really affect, you know, you might have a great tool, you might have a great solution, but if you can't train that model up on enough of the right kind of data, it's just not going to be as effective. So interesting. I totally agree with the data silos. The other point I would make in when we're talking about data is just the lack of data from an emotional perspective. So there's obviously organizations have got masses amount of data, but when you start to ask an organization, do you know how your customers feel or, you know, what emotions are you trying to evoke and questions like that, they don't know the answer. So it worries me that they're going to need to sort of supplement that in some way or as they go through the implementation, make sure that those things are being included because that's clearly a a large driver of why people do things. It is. And we promised some good news, right? And we, yeah. <laughs> when we earlier out of the podcast, we did, I think, as we see managers stretched thin and they have a ton of priorities and organizations are really trying to figure out how to meet customer needs, but they're not just sitting on their hands. And what we saw was 88% of the respondents said, we're going to invest in cloud-based customer engagement solutions. And right. when we ask them which ones, they, they specifically mentioned workforce management A lot of the organizations, and this goes back to the driver of more at-home workers, too, is they're looking at compliance, security, and fraud solutions. But again, AI is is huge on the list, even just chatbots, intelligent virtual assistants, but really AI threaded through all of the applications that they're looking at. And voice of the customer still continues to be a very, very hot investment as well. But I think people are growing up in what they're looking there. They're not just looking for a survey tool, but they're looking for a deep customer analytics feedback system that also adds that extra dimension of predictive modeling. Yeah, and that's a whole other subject, isn't it? It is. There was one word that I would would pick out. Is it fusion? Will be. Is that the word? <laughs> Maybe it's fission. <laughs> the next no, see, iteration. This is interesting because fusion is how you enable yourself to, and this is the word for me, it's proactive, okay? If there was one word that sort of encapsulate what I would say the future of customer experience will be is providing a proactive experience. Now, to provide a proactive experience, okay, you've got to be able to predict what customers are going to do. To be able to do that, you've got to be able to look across those data silos and see where all of those things are. But if I was looking to where the future was, is, or would be, then I think it's going to be around providing a proactive experience, doing things for customers before they even know that they want to do them.
we like to finish off by trying to give our listeners some practical advice. So is there any practical advice and practical tips? I always ask at this point the question, so what? What does that mean? All interesting stuff, but what does it mean that we go away and do? Uh, Nancy, any thoughts, Ryan? I'll jump in first. Uh, I'll let Nancy have the last word. Thank you, first of all, for sharing your research with it. I found it very interesting. I was struck by some of the comments that both Colin and Nancy made around um, the way I would phrase it is we talk about technology solutions, but technologies are, are never the solution. Technologies are a tool that allow us to solve problems. So they're, they're a part of the solution. And I think that firms sometimes jump into new technologies expecting that the new software or the new hardware or the new cloud-based system will solve the problem for them, as opposed to identifying this is the problem. I mean, some of this goes back, Nancy, to the, the first issues we raised around how are people not prepared? So identifying the problem, identifying your plan for solving the problem, and then utilizing the appropriate technology tools to actually solve it in in the way that it needs to be solved, as opposed to, ah, everybody's doing this, let's kick down some money for this new piece of software, this new approach. So I, I was struck by that part of the conversation. And that seems like advice that I would point people to. That is so true. That is so true. This whole engagement capacity gap isn't going to disappear when the pandemic ends. We found that in many ways it escalated, it got bigger, it it went faster, it got more extreme, but it's not going away. It's going to continue regardless of what the health crisis does. So I always say when, when things get very complex, you go back to basics. The companies that were the most successful did exactly what what you were talking about, Ryan. They, They go back to a very well done understanding of the customer and what the customer needs. And then it's a strategy around workforce management. It's a strategy around how we serve customers in a hybrid way with technology and with our humans. And and we don't put separate teams on each one of those. It is an overall strategy. I mean, hence the growth of your chief customer officers, because these are the people that have that view and can guide the organization to the solution that is necessary and is going to be a combination of the technology. But it also needs to be technology that is integrated. It it empowers the employee at the same time that it serves the customer. And I think that's in addition to the predictive side that we've mentioned a few times, that's the aha moment for me is that it goes beyond technology that's just customer facing, but it's empowering the teams that serve the customer as well. It's really a pretty big platform when you start talking about technology that you need to make this work. No, I I totally agree. One piece of advice I would give to people would be I go back to that sort of Winston Churchill story. You need to start defining what the future experience looks like. And for me, that's going to be more of a hybrid between what we were doing pre-pandemic and what people have been doing during the pandemic and, and define what that looks like and have a clear direction and then have the technology and the support. And it's really, really good news that 88% of people plan to invest in um, cloud-based customer experience solutions, which I think will be really good. 
the danger is, is without that, then we're going to continue to have a challenge, to say the least. So, Nancy, thanks very much for joining us today. I promised to tell people about where they can download the report. We will be putting the links in the show notes. If you want to download this engagement capacity gap report, you go to verant.com backslash boundless. That's verant.com backslash boundless. And the other thing I would mention is that I know you're running a, a conference shortly, aren't you? You're Engage 21. Uh, which is happening in the middle of May. Yeah, just a small little customer conference of thousands. <laughs> yeah. <of people. laughs> thousands of our best best customers. Yes, we're we. It's our favorite event of the year. All kidding aside, and we we're absolutely we're very excited about it. It's at Gage Twenty One. It is going to be a virtual event this year, but we're making it a lot of fun and as close to like in person as we can. So there's a lot to lots of educational opportunities, as well as a lot of networking opportunities and learning opportunities. So we'd, we'd love to see everybody at Engage. If you want to attend that, that is a free event. You don't have to be a customer of Verant. But again, we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's verant.com backslash engage. So that's verant.com backslash engage. So thanks very much, Nancy, for being on the show. Been really, really interesting and uh, always great to have a debate with a, a with a like-minded person. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was great. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Just as a reminder, please could you complete a review of the show and that would really help us. Thanks very much. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.